Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Today we're going to talk about finances, also known as money. So we're just going to go ahead and get it out of the way, turn to your neighbor and go, money, money, money. Turn to your other neighbor that you chose second and apparently like less than your other neighbor. Say, money, money, money. Get it out of your system. Yes, we're at church and we're going to talk about money. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why. Just, you can just Google you, while you're in there. Uh, even on your phones right now, you could Google top three stressors in a marriage. I, you can look on a secular page, a Christian page. Uh, it doesn't matter. Money is the number one stressor or the lack thereof is the number one stressor in marriages and in individuals. You look in politics. Somebody wants to make a good run in politics here's what they talk about. Economy, economy, economy. Because they're like, if I can get everybody's money better, they'll like me. Because <laughs> everybody's struggling in that area. And uh, today's not going to be one of those messages where I give you some natural things that you can do better uh, about getting out of debt or debt snowballs or budgets or, or, or all of those things. I think we all, all agree when it comes to the natural things, it's pretty simple. Don't spend more than you make. So if we just start there, we're going to be on, on track. And if you don't have a budget, get one. You got to know what's going on before you can fix anything. So there's your natural lesson, but that, that's not what today is going to be about because I, I think that there's actually more power in the spiritual side of finances and what God can do in the area of finances than what you can do. That's kind of been the theme today. It's like you heard even in Keith's message. It's, it's not as much about what we do. It's about what he can do. And, and I, you have to know this. God wants to do something for you in the area of finances. You have to know that. And, uh, and, and I'll just kind of begin because I think what will maybe help us in, this, in, in today or help me explain some things to you is just really tell you mine and Leanne's journey, mine and Leanne's uh, life in the area of God and finances and money, uh, and maybe get a little bit personal about it. The interesting thing about me and Leanne is that we were basically raised almost identical. Our stories are almost the same. We went to the exact same kind of church. You know, in the, in the denominational church world, there's First Baptist, Second Baptist, there's Methodist, Church of Christ, Lutheran, there's all those the different denominations. Well, even in the non-denominational world where we kind of grew up, there's even veins of that as well. And you're kind of part of this group or you're kind of part of that group. And we were even a part of the same non-denominational vein, if you will. And so uh, we went to one of those churches, some of you will know these, uh, that every Sunday we had a regular message and then we had a money message. Anybody ever been to one of those where it's about 50-50? I love Leanne's dad. Uh, Leanne's dad was my first ever true spiritual father, and he always started with the money message, and about 25% of the time, he never got to the regular one. So uh, it, that was something he felt really strong about, uh, and he, he's a testament of that. He lived in utter poverty his whole life, was raised in utter poverty. God showed him some things in his, throughout his life and radically changed the course of his family and even, even my life as well because of what God showed him in that. And so... I'm not knocking that, but I, that's, that's kind of what we grew up in. We also grew up hearing this phrase that many of you have heard. Uh, we heard preachers talk about the prosperity gospel, or what's commonly referred to as the prosperity gospel. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase prosperity gospel. Now I need everyone to tell the truth. How many of you guys, it was a negative thing, the prosperity gospel, when you heard about it? How many of you guys, when you go on TV, you can almost see by the haircut whether they're a prosperity preacher or not? <laughs> I, I grew up in that, and I, and, I, and I need you to hear me say that. I got more good out of it than I did bad. I got more good out of it than I did bad. I think somewhere along the way, uh, motivations, at least, and I won't speak for anybody other than myself, the way I heard it, the way it was interpreted to me, 
or, or the way I interpret it, I guess I should say, uh, I think my motivation for what for 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 money, for prosperity, for all those things, I think it got it got lost in the in the reality of uh, of what it was supposed to be about. But I, again, I, I'm, I want to repeat: I got more good out of it than I did bad, and here's why. Because when you believe, when you hear the message of prosperity and that God wants you to prosper, one of the things that it ingrains into you is that God is good. He's good. If he wants to prosper you, then he must be good. If he wants to do good things for you, then it it must be good. Some some, uh, religious persuasions would try to convince you that believing that God wants to prosper you is actually moving you away from God instead of moving you to God. In other words, if you start thinking, oh, it's about rewards and God blessing you and things like that, now you're, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and you're moving further away from God. But they can never read you a scripture that says that. And I want to read you a scripture from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that it, it very well could absolutely rewrite your theology from this day forward. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Oftentimes, people quote that verse and they stop right there. And they preach on, if you don't have faith, if you don't have faith, if you're not pleasing God if you're not walking in faith. But let's look at what this thing's talking about here. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God, is that not the journey of every single one of us? Is that not the desire of every single one of us, to get closer to Him? Is that not why you're here? Is that not why we're here? We want closer to Him. We want to come to Him. Here's what it says. For he who comes to God must believe. Is when it says must believe, is it an option? Is it a requirement? This is a must. This is an absolute requirement. In other words, if you want to get closer to him, you must believe these two things. One, that he is, and, you know what that word and means in the Greek? And. <laughs> you must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can I just say this? If there's not at least a little bit of prosperity gospel in you, you're not getting close to him because you don't realize how good he is. I'm just going to let that sit for just a little bit in the crock pot and let that marinate for a second. I know we've heard the negative sides, and I know some of you have, have been in the churches that talk the negative sides, and, and, and I'll just be honest with you. I was there. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. A lot of my giving at times growing up, I was giving to get. I was, I thought, oh, if, I, if I'll sow a seed, if I'll do this, then, then God will do this for me. If I'll do this for God, then God will do this for me. And all of a sudden, it became about me doing enough to get him to do what I wanted him to do. Who's God now? If I can do things and I, and I can get him to do what I, what I want him to do. And since when did this idea of generosity and trusting God with your finances co- co- become all about us getting rich. I'm just being honest with you. Early on in my life, that, that, that thing got twisted a little bit. It got off a little bit. But I will not deny, and I will never leave the idea that unless you believe that God is good, you're never going to get to him. You have to believe. This scripture makes it clear. It's not an option. There is no other way to get close to him. You must believe that he's God. You must believe that he is supreme. But you equally must believe that he is good and he wants to reward you. They're one and the same. I had a, 
had a life-changing experience several years ago, and, and I believe it, it really once and for all positioned my heart in this particular area where finance is concerned, where God wanted it the whole time. And uh, I've, I've been a tither my whole life. I've, I've shared this with you before. There's never been a day of my life that I haven't been a tither. From the, my parents taught me at a young age, same with Le- Leanne's parents. We've been tithing since we first got our first dollar. We were taught, there's your first dollar, get your dime and take it. First thing goes to church. And we were taught when we would go to church as kids, we were always, mom, give me some money to take to give to the offering. And we were, we were trained in that. So that was, that was very normal for us. So I've done this my whole life. This has been a part of who we are. Uh, even, especially since we were married. Every dollar we've ever made, we've tithed off of. But there came a point in my life where, several years ago where God began, some things began to shift. I began to encounter God. I learned about the grace of God. I was encountering the love of the Father. I was encountering the presence of God. My Christian journey was changing. My experiences with God were changing. And, and, and along with that, my finances were changing. I began to see finances coming into my life like I had never seen before. And, uh, and, and it was just, it, it was unbelievable what God was doing. And, and I remember we were building our first house here in Midland uh, several years ago. Uh, our good friends at Beaten Boat were building this house and, uh, and we paid for it. And, and so we were, we were on the slab and I, we were on the cement slab. You know how you go out there after the slab and I think they, they put, let you put a Bible in there and then they frame it and you can write scriptures on it. We were, we were in the middle of that whole journey and and I just remember being there, and it wasn't a big house. I mean, I want, it was like, I don't know, 1,200 square feet or something. It was, it was a fairly small house, but we were just so happy. We were so, we were so proud of it. It just meant the world to us. And all of a sudden, I just got overwhelmed with gratitude and overwhelmed with thanksgiving for what the Lord was, was doing in our lives. And, and I had this, this, this fleeting moment where all of a sudden I heard the Lord. I'm there. I'm I'm, I'm emotional. Uh, actually, we were leaving when this happened, and I, we, I just left there, and I'd gotten so emotional, and I'm leaving there. And as I was leaving, I heard the Lord say, and you may have heard me share this story before. I heard the Lord say to me, what's your new number? What's your new number? And I knew immediately what he was referring to because years ago, a man by the name of Mike McCartney, uh, a little old man in the Amarillo area who went to our church up there, uh, Mike McCartney used to come up to me every single Sunday and hand me a $100 bill. Handed me a hundred dollar bill every single Sunday for an extended period of time. How many of you guys want that anointing right now in Jesus' name? Bring them, Jesus. Just bring, bring them, Jesus. Uh, it was overwhelming, to be quite honest with you. In fact, over time, it got to the point where I'd, I couldn't even accept it. I, he, would, he would hand me the hundred dollars and say, now you take that pretty little wife of yours and go get her some lunch. And I'm like, I'm going to take her to the grocery store to get us some groceries is what I'm going to do and buy her uh, Taco Bell. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was just, it was unbelievable, how, and he didn't even know this. He wasn't just feed, giving us lunch that day. He was paying bills. He was getting us on the right track. He was helping us get out of debt. I mean, it, it was unbelievable how impactful that $100 a week was. And, and I got to the point where I told him, I said, Mike, I can't, I'm not taking it. I said, in fact, if you're just dead set on doing something, you have to come with us. So we started taking him with us to lunch, and we'd take him to football games, and he'd insist on paying, but that was the only way I'd let him give me money is if he came with us and ate with us and got to know our family. and Just an amazing guy. Amazing guy. And, uh, sorry. Um, kind of lost my train of thought there for just a second. Um, there, when the Lord said, what's your new number? I knew what he was saying was, what amount would it take now for you to get every single week to make the same impact $100 used to make? 
And as I contemplated what that was, I was even overwhelmed with even more gratitude and more thanksgiving because I realized that what, what $100 wouldn't even make the same impact in me, neither would 200 or 300 or 400 or 500. It was going to take quite a bit more. In fact, the number I even assessed in my head, I don't know if it was numerically accurate, but uh, I, it felt like it would take 10 times that much to make the same impact in my heart, in my soul, in my, in my day-to-day life. And I just became overwhelmed again. I said, Lord, I'm so thankful for where you've brought us. I'm so thankful for where you brought us. For the rest of my life, I'm going to try to outgive you. And that, that year, we started adding 1% to our giving every year and made, the, and made the promise to each other, for the rest of our lives, we will give another 1% additional income uh, <clears throat> to the church and, to, and, and to just out to other people. Now, but, I mean, I, now if we live to 120, I don't know how that's going to work out because the Lord says he promises 120, so I don't know what we're going to do if I'm 120 years old. But to be quite honest with you, I do, because what's happened since we've since that happened, since that triggered, since we began to give with a whole different attitude, we started giving not to get something from God, but because of what God had already given us. The motivation went from, I want God to do something, to I'm just thankful for what he's already done. And since then, I I can't even tell you the stories of what's happened to us financially uh, in in our own personal lives. And so I, I, I tell you some of those some of those stories to say we've kind of in the church world and concerning finances, we've got a lot of experiences from the good, the bad, the ugly. We've been poor. We've been not as poor. We've, we've needed someone to give us money every single week uh, to even make things happen. We've been able to give people things every week uh, for, for, for themselves. And it, it, I, I've kind of been on both ends of this deal. And, and in all that, I feel like I've learned some things. And some of the things I'm, I say today may challenge you to the core and you may just flat out not believe them, but I, I'm just telling you, these aren't just scriptures to me anymore. These are my story. Uh, you, you, there's, there's certain things in the Bible that they're scriptures for me, and I'm standing on them by faith, but I don't have any experiences in some of those areas. But these I do, and these are my stories, and I just believe with all of my heart that God wants to take my stories and make them your stories. Some of the things that I've learned to get you activating those same principles so God can do the same thing in your life. Now, some of this is going to get a little stout. I'm not going to lie. Some of this is going to get a little heavy, so the, the, the road might get a little bumpy. Turn to your neighbor and say, the road's going to get a little bumpy. And one more time, just for the fun of it, say, money, money, money. <laughs> okay, let's just get it all out. I want to start by saying that just like everything else in the kingdom, enjoying what God has for you in your finances, it begins with obedience. It begins with obedience. That's a word uh, that most of us don't even like. (laughs) Obey. Obey, submit. And two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, rather, I guess, it was we were talking about parenting, about how the number one thing for us to do as as parents is to create in our children a submitted heart. That's the first thing that we're going for, is that they have a submitted heart, that they have given over control to us as their parents. It's not their will, but our will. You follow what we say, and once, I've, once you've proven to me that you can do what we say, then you get to do what you want. But until you can do what we say, you don't get to do what you want. Why is that, why, why is that how we start our kids out? Because we're preparing their hearts to serve God in the exact same way. We don't, we're not looking for what we want. We're looking to do what He wants. He, he's not just the Savior of our lives. In fact, we talk about this, and the Lord's really had, a, had me 
changing the way I do altar calls and invite people into a relationship with God. I don't want you to, I don't want him, you to cry out to Him as the Savior. I want you to cry out to Him as Lord. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is He saying? You want real salvation? He doesn't just need to be a get-out-of-jail-free card for you. He needs to be boss. He needs to be boss. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Seek ye first what? The kingdom. You can't have a kingdom without a king. If we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom, part of seeking the kingdom is acknowledging that he is king. He's the boss. He's the Lord. I'm following you. I'm going to do it your way. And everything, in enjoying what God has for you in every area of the kingdom, in every way of, a, of enjoying an, even an open heaven, it starts with obedience. It starts with saying yes. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I talk like a child. I reason like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. You know, there's, there, there comes a point in our, in our Christian life, in fact, in the early parts of your Christian life, you know, I, I kind of liken it to, you know, we just had a baby, and it's like the first little bit of her life is it's complete codependency on us as parents. She has nothing to offer our family, I promise you. <laughs> You're bringing nothing to the table. We, we just take care of her. We just, she, if she's hungry, she, before we feed her. It's just like all she's got to do is squawk, and we just run and take care of her. She ha, she's not to the point yet. She, doesn't, she hasn't developed to the point where she has something to offer, where she has something to give. We tell our oldest two kids, the reason we had you guys first is so you could work for us when you got older. <laughs> so we're kind of enjoying that right now. It's like, hey, you actually can help. You can pull some weight around here. But early on, not the case. You all know that it's not the case. And can I just be honest with you? Early on in your Christian journey, when you're starting, when you're starting to, to, to learn about God, it's really a take system. He's pouring out His love. He's pouring out His goodness. He's telling you who He is. He's pouring into you. You don't really have much to offer. You don't know much about the Word. You know, there's not as much to, you have to offer. But what, and even the way you think, the way you reason, it's not, it's not really right. It's like so you're, you're kind of in that infancy stage but just, just like with our kids, as they get over, it's like, okay, you once thought like a child, you reason like a child, but it's time to grow up and put away some of those childish things. Part of our job as Christians is at some point, and this, this is going to sound a little strong, but I'm, it, this needs to be said, you got to grow up. You just got to grow up. If you really want the things that the Scripture tells us are available, at some point you say, I got to grow up. I, I gotta change. I gotta change some things about what I'm doing. I gotta change, and I, I've gotta obey. I've gotta follow the scriptures at a whole nother level. Well, Grace says He loves me. He does. But please don't sell yourself short of. Don't just go for heaven in heaven. Go for heaven on earth. Well, Grace, Grace, Grace. I get all that. But Paul addressed that when the, in a, in a. In a you got to remember, we kind of live in a season where the grace message is a big deal. Would you not agree? Guess what? We're not the first grace season. We were not the first. Paul was the first. Paul was the first to preach the gospel of grace. 
And people were under this system of, raw, of, of laws and do this and you get this, don't do this and this curse. They were in this system and Jesus came and flipped it upside down and the Apostle Paul was the first to preach about grace. So these people are hearing about grace for the first time and guess what came up? Well, we, sh- we should just go sin since we got grace. And he goes, no, you're missing the point. Because of what Jesus did, you now have power over sin. Sin doesn't have power over you. So here's what he said. If you really got grace, you won't want to sin. You won't even be bringing this up. Get out of here. Yeah. I don't think he said that part. That was my little added that. Little, that's the Braden International version right there. Uh. <laughs> there, comes, it, there comes a point when we have to say, you know, when it comes to the things of God, I'm just going to obey. And let me just break the news to you. You're not going to want to. It doesn't come naturally. The only person on the planet that has ever walked the planet that naturally wanted to do things the right way was Joel Osteen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not natural. You don't naturally want to do the right thing. You don't naturally want to forgive. You don't na- You'll like this one. You don't naturally want to wait till you're married to have sex. Ooh. Mira, mira. I feel like I'm getting off the rails a little bit. You don't naturally want to do the right thing. Nothing about the, the, the ways of the kingdom and the ways of God do we naturally want to do. Galatians 5, 16 says it this way. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you, want, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let me just be honest, it's like a craving sometimes. It, it's like this, it's uncontrollable craving. It's like a zebra cake at midnight. I mean, it's like <laughs> just something about it. <laughs> it. says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And I love this part. It says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. In other words, there's this resistance. There's, once you've been born again, the Spirit of God's on the inside of you. He's already speaking to you. Now, His voice will be... The more you lean, lean into Him, it seems like the louder His voice gets. But early on, it's like you've got to really lean in. It's like... Wait a minute, I've got different desires here. I got this voice. I, I used to not feel guilty about doing this one thing, but all of a sudden there's this little bitty thing down in there somewhere saying, Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't smoke that. Don't do it. Stephen A. Smith, stay off the wind. Here we go. But these, these two forces, as you grow up, these two forces, they're constantly fighting against each other. There's the spirit man on the inside saying, no, we're, that's not who we are anymore. That's not what we do anymore. But the sinful nature is still saying, yeah, but it sure feels good. It sure feels good. I still like it. The Bible says sin, it's awesome for a season. So you wake up with a hangover in a house you don't recognize. <laughs> I, I, I ain't never had that happen. I'm just saying I heard somebody say that one time. And, and, and the same goes for your finances. You're not going to naturally want to do what the Bible says you're supposed to do with your money. It's not natural. 
It's not natural to take 10% of every dollar you make and give it to someone you don't even know if you trust yet. I, I know that's a big one for some people. I, well, some preachers, boy, I heard this one preacher, he, he took all the money and got himself a new Mercedes and got him a Rolex and got him all this stuff. That's why we don't tithe. His Rolex doesn't keep you from the commandments in the Scripture. But let's just be honest. Those are things we work through. Those are some real things at the end of, that are going on in our head. It's like, ah, don't do it because of this. Don't do it because of... And it, there's just excuses screaming in your head of why you don't have to do what the Bible says you should be doing with your money. And tithing, much less being generous. Or I'll take it a step further, much less being sacrificial. Much less giving to the point that it actually costs you something. It will not come natural. And I'll just tell you this, the desire to follow the ways of the kingdom, the ways of heaven, the ways of God, it, they only come once the fruit of your obedience shows up. Desire follows fruit of obedience. Go back to the story when Jesus was recruiting his disciples. Keith told the second time he encountered them on the beach, this is the first time. He goes up, never met the guy before. Some say they may have heard him or seen him before, but this is the first real interaction they've had relationally. Jesus shows up on the beach, jumps in Peter's boat, says, push it out. Then he asks permission because he's Jesus. That's how he rolls. And he just pushes the boat out, preaches a message. And here's what happens. For the first time ever, they heard the word. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the word before we had a Bible. So for the first time ever, they heard the word. He preaches the word, then he says this, now launch your boat out in the deep, and we're going to cast our nets on the other side and catch some fish. What did they do? They obeyed. They had excuses, and they had reasoning that said they should not do it. They said, Master, we've told all night, and we haven't caught anything. You're only supposed to fish at night. The way we do it these days, you've got to fish at night. But they said, at your word, let's go. No fruit yet. No guarantee that we'll catch some fish. No guarantee. It was simply a, an obedient response to the word. What followed an obedient response to the word? A miracle. Fish. Fruit. Something tangible to go, oh my gosh. We heard the word. We did the word. Now we got fish. They come back to the shore with the biggest catch they've ever had. And, but something had changed in them. Jesus says, you, you used to fish for fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. You guys want to come? They're like, we're in. What happened? Obedience led to fruit, which led to a change in desire. They, did no, they no longer desired the life that they had. The desire had changed. You're not going to naturally want to you're, no one naturally wants to give 10% of their money up, Even, especially if it means changing the way you live right now. Because some people, it's like, to be honest with you, you're so stretched thin for you to tithe, you're going to have to change some things in the way you live. It's not going to be natural. Psalms 35, let them shout for joy and be glad my, who favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. I want you to see a, a, a scripture to see he actually finds pleasure when you prosper. 
He doesn't find pleasure when you suffer. He doesn't find pleasure when you don't have enough. He finds pleasure when you prosper. But can I just say this? If you can't be trusted to obey, then you can't be trusted to prosper. If you can't be trusted to obey, you can't be trusted to prosper. Because here, here's what happens. Money doesn't change people. You hear people say, oh, my, money changes folks. No, money doesn't change people's heart. Money reveals people's heart. If, it cha- if, if something about your life changes because you got more money, all you did is have mo- more money to do what you would have always done if you had money. And can I just say this? If money is your God and things are your God and you don't really trust him, why would he give you more money and prosper you more so you could even get further away from him? You know, they say, missionaries will tell you this. You want to see real miracles happen? Go to other countries. You're not going to see them in America. We're too privileged. We're too rich. We got too much money. We can fix our own problems. But you go to somewhere where they know they have nothing and you preach about a God who has everything, from their position of knowing I have nothing, the only chance I have is Him. It's that kind of faith that produces miracles. Why would God continue to pour more resource on you if you're going to use that resource? If some things in your heart have not aligned to Him being Lord, Him being boss, I obey whether I feel like it or not, why would He give you more resource to get further away from Him? If you can't be trusted to obey, you can't be trusted to prosper. That feels warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Matthew 6, 19, put it this way, all the way to 24, says, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves break in. Do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know what people really care about. You want to know where their heart really is. Just look at their money. This is a big one for a lot of men. I'm, I'm one of them. If, the, if we just looked at our checkbook, our heart, our, the, number one, the number one desire of our heart is our kingdom. Our house, our truck, our cars, our hobbies. That's, if, if, if the scripture is true, and it is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's really at. But the, the, the beautiful thing about this, this, this scripture is that this principle is a double-edged sword. Just like, the, just like your money will reveal where your heart is, your money dictates where your heart will go to. You want to change where your heart's going? Change where your money's going. I, I proof positive right here. Who, who plays fantasy football? You've been checking your roster all morning, updating your, seeing how you're doing? I ain't never played fantasy football before this year and uh, Steve-O where's he at? there you are uh, Steve-O said hey let's play fantasy football little did we know he's been in like a hundred different leagues and he's like oh yeah and he knew none of us had played he goes oh y'all want to start a league? yeah let's do it I was like yeah let's put a little skin in the game too Like, a, I'm thinking 5, 10, 20 bucks I was like yeah let's put it in winner take all he goes yeah let's play for a hundred bucks each I'm like whoa Whoa, slow down. But I couldn't let him see that at first. I was like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> so we all pony up, and there's a little group. Well, next thing you know, there's almost like $1,000 in this pot. And it's like, 
I didn't care about football that much until I put $100 in the pot. And I can win 1000 there. And I woke up this morning knowing that it's church day, and I prayed, and I checked my fantasy football roster, and then I prayed some more, and then I checked my roster one last time, proposed one trade. <laughs> what happens? It's like, I, now that I'm invested, I, I care a little bit more about what's going on over here. That's the beautiful thing about the power of money. It will reveal your heart, but it'll, it'll also direct your heart. In other words, when you put your money, something happens when you send your money, your heart follows. And for a lot of you, you're like, man, I just, I just, I want to get this right. And I want to have a passion for the things of God. I want to have a passion for the church. I, I want that. I, I'll help you get there. Send your money to it. Send your money to it. Your heart will follow. It's like, oh my gosh, why? I, I'm falling more in love with the church. I'm falling more in love with the kingdom I, because I've got some investment. My, I, I've got some skin in the game, so to speak. Simply put, some of you, that's all you need to do. That's the only thing wrong. You, you don't know that this principle exists. You don't know. I, oh, you want some change, things to change on the inside? Just send your money that direction. And of all the things in the scripture, this is the one where the Lord says, just try me, test me. Try me on this one. And not even try me to see what it, he says, try me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. By doing what? Tithing, obeying. But it doesn't stop there. And I'll just say this, I'm running out of time. It's like, I, if, you're, if you're not to that point, if you, if you don't tithe, if that's not where you're at, I'm challenging you right now. You got to do it. You got to get God involved in your finances. Would you rather have 100% of your money cursed or 90% of it blessed. I'll take B for 200, Alex, or whatever. It's like, that's an easy one. But once you pass the test of obedience, don't say, oh, I did it, man. I've been tithing to the, to the dime. Going on, what was that? Whew, two weeks now? Good for you, but guess what's next? Generosity. See, I just, I, I never looked at, this is, the covenant of grace is, is a, it's an amazing covenant, but it's got higher requirements than the law even has. I'm not giving my 10%. Thank God I've done my bare minimum. No, grace compels you to give it all. Guess what? It's all his anyway. Oh, Lord, you want, you want, not, you want 10% of my income? He goes, no, I want 10% back of my income. <laughs> Just to keep your heart in the right place. And then it's like, okay, what about generosity? What about 11%, 12%? What about 40%? What about this? What about, these are real things that I'm just, I'm telling you these things have helped me so much. I remember the first time I got, had someone give me, just walk up and say, Lord told me to give you, I think it was 5,000 bucks. It was crazy. And, I, and I, my pastor taught me this. He said, when you got the 5,000, did you immediately ask the Lord what you were supposed to do with that? And I was like, I didn't have to ask. I knew exactly what to do. Put it in my bank account. <laughs> I already knew. He said, guess what? He'll never trust you with 50,000 if you don't ask him what to do with five. Because 100% of it's his. I'll close with this. What would you be willing to do to set your heart in the right direction? What would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to change to set your heart on the things of the kingdom? On the things of heaven? On God's way of doing things? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. 
And in his, in his excitement, he hit it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Here's two stories of two different people who found something more valuable than the life that they were currently living and were willing to give up everything about their current life to get something of greater value. And my question to you is, are the things of God of great enough value to you? Are they that, is it that hidden treasure? Is it that pearl that you would be willing to change anything, much less everything, but you would change anything about your life to get that? You know, there are heroes to me. They're, 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 there's a few people in my mind that when I think of, of money and giving and generosity, a lot of my information, a lot of my material, I've, I've, some of it I've ripped off from a guy named Robert Moore. Some of you know, he just, he, he wrote a book called The Blessed Life. And Robert is, his story is incredible. He's given away cars and he's even given away one, if not two houses. I think he's almost on his second and I'm not there yet. I haven't given away a house. I've given away cars, given away money, emptied my bank account a time or two. I've, I've done that, but it's like there's something in me that wants to be that. I want to be at that level. I want to be ready to do that. I want to be in a position where if God asked me for everything, I'd say yes. But I'd say the greatest example I have of someone that I look at and go, I want that to be my story. It's Mike McCartney, the guy who used to give $100 bills. I found out later I wasn't the only one he was shucking out $100 bills to. He was giving away $100 bills every single Sunday. But I found out that before Mike started doing that, he got cancer. Found out he had cancer. And something happened in him that says, look, if I've only got a little bit of time, I'm going out giving. And I don't even know, I told this in the first service, but I don't know if I've ever told this part of the story before. Mike told me and I once, he said, uh, I want to build you a house. He was a, home, he was a custom home builder. <laughs> and he told me, he said, I, I've got these big projects, these big multi-million dollar projects, and, the, and what I'm going to make on these projects is going to, I'm going to have enough money that I'm going to be able to build you guys a home and give you a, give you a custom home. And I just, I remember thinking, like, I, don't even know what to, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't know how I feel about a hundred dollar bill. I don't even know what to do with that. And uh, before, he, before he was able to do that, and I didn't even know he had cancer. I didn't, dang sure didn't know how bad it was. He just said he had some, some, some things he was working through. <laughs> Stopped showing up to church as much, but when he did, his attitude was good. And I found out through the grapevine that Mike had cancer. He wouldn't even tell us where he was. He didn't want us to see him in that state. And I, I got news that it had gotten really bad that Mike was in hospice. And um, So I said, I got to go see him. And, and the guy that told me about it, he said, I wouldn't take Leanne. He doesn't, he doesn't look good. And so I go to hospice and I see Mike for the first time in a long time. And he was riding, Mike was a shell of who he was. And he had lost over 100 pounds. And just, he was, I mean, he was on his deathbed. And I walked in, and I, this is exactly what happened. I walked in there and, he, and he, when I walked into the room, he turned, he saw me. And I said, Mike, and he goes, Braden, before you say anything, tell, tell him I'm sorry I didn't get her that house. Tell him I'm sorry I didn't get her that house. But I'm believing somebody's going to. <laughs> and I thought, Mike, that's the last thing you need to be worried about right now. But I think of him often when I think of the kind of person I want to be. It's like, you've heard the phrase, live to give. 
he was, he literally, and someone, uh, the associate pastor told me later that he had told him, Mike was trying to stay alive long enough to finish the house. It's called living to give. That's when something's drastically changed in your heart. And selfishness is no longer even in the equation. And what you can do for yourself, it's not giving to get. It's I want to go out thinking of others when I think about myself. And I just would propose the exact same question to you. Do you is the kingdom of God the treasure that's worth changing everything? Is it really the, is it, is it the treasure? Or is it just another good thing that deserves an occasional supplement? I'm challenging to change everything. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.